Chapter 6 of The Psychology of Religion by Edwin Diller Starbuck. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 6 The Mental and Bodily Affections Immediately Accompanying Conversion. We shall be spared a tabular presentation of the phenomena at the critical point in conversion. Those immediately before the turning point are the same, practically as those during the conviction period, but deepened and intensified and those momentarily following the change are apparently the same in quality as the post-conversion experiences, which will be described later. Although more intense than the experiences leading up to conversion and those during the succeeding period, they are, singularly, less fully and accurately described. Many things are happening apparently which, during the intenser emotion, evade critical analysis even in the retrospect. We shall accordingly be concerned in this chapter with the description of some of the bolder outlines of the process involved in the crisis itself, as shown in the mental and bodily states. 1. The intensity of the emotions. Although the experiences are usually more intense than those we have already noticed, there are many exceptions to the rule. The cases would easily arrange themselves in a series from those in which there is almost no feeling accompaniment to those at the other extreme in which there is intense struggle the height of pain and joy and vivid experience is quite out of the range of ordinary life in few instances definite changes seem to be worked out quietly somehow in the depths of one's nature without registering themselves in the emotions and they are presented ready-made to consciousness male eighteen there was no emotion it was a calm acceptance of the power of christ to save Male, 12. It was simply a jump for the better. Female, 22. I was reared in skeptical surroundings. I prided myself that I was not deluded as others were. I felt as I rose to declare myself that a life of decisions was being given up in that one moment. I fully realized what it meant. Mine was just a decision made known to the world that I was going to try the other side. I didn't expect any change from my cool standpoint, so experienced no extra happiness. It didn't seem supernatural, but about as unlikely to come out as it did for miracles to go so decidedly opposite to the natural. The cases shade off rapidly, however, into those which are wrought out with high emotion. Male, 19, yearning for a sense of communion with him, the words, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found, came with thrilling power. The incident is described as a tumultuous emotional incident. A very few instances press so close to the emotional end of the series that one wonders to what extent they are pathological. Male, 28. I fell on my face by a bench and tried to pray. Every time I would call on God, something like a man's hand would strangle me by choking. I thought I would surely die if I did not get help. I made one final effort to call on God for mercy if I did strangle and die. And the last I remember at that time was falling back on the ground with that same unseen hand on my throat. When I came to myself, there was a crowd around praising God. The very heavens seemed to open and pour down rays of light and glory. It would not be fair to estimate the average cases by either of the extremes. When the feelings attending conversion were collated and compared with those during the conviction period, they were found not only to be more intense, but to be described more often in physical terms. There is evidence that the whole nature is in a high state of tension, and that the senses are much more acute. The attention is narrowed and fixed. The exact appearance of objects, the presentation of unusual sights, the exact words spoken and heard, 
the hymns sung imaginary sounds and the like are frequently recalled with great minuteness one person remembers the exact appearance of a pane of glass on which his eyes were resting at the time of conversion another recalls in detail the looks of her garments prayers ring in the ears of one several heard voices of condemnation or assurance sometimes it was an inner voice again and it was a real voice male twenty six a voice said believe in me for i am god the voice came as if you are out there speaking the emotion is oftener in terms of feeling than sight or hearing as of being bound to the seat having a choking sensation in the throat carrying a load on the shoulders and the like two a comparison of the sexes and emotional experiences there is a difference between the sexes which deserves attention in regard to the vividness of the emotions the males bear out what we found to be true during the conviction period in comparing the revival conversions with the others and that at the time of the crisis likewise those converted at revivals have the more highly colored and apparently momentarily deeper going experience the females however at first sight exactly contradict what we found in the last chapter during conviction the disturbances were greater in the non-revival cases while at the moment we are now considering the critical point in conversion it is the revival females who are thrown into intensest emotion there is one point in explanation of this unexpected difference which has been observed already and if we read into it a little more carefully it will show why the group of women the non-revival who suffer most pain during the conviction period are most free from it at the critical point of conversion it is that women are more impressionable than men and are controlled more by large instinctive feelings they accept more readily the stimulus of the ensemble when once it is offered to carry them over difficulties this agrees with the conclusions of mr havelock ellis women respond to stimuli psychic or physical more readily than men this general statement though it may be modified or limited in certain respects is uncontested resistance to conviction we saw to be less among the revival females the strength of sermons the rhythm of music the encouragement of friends the force of example and all the impetus that comes from a religious service often furnish the last stimulus needed to carry the restless struggling life through its uncertainty and perplexity female fourteen the sermon seemed just meant for me female twenty three i was wretched and discontented i thought it was of no use to try the music appealed to me while they were singing i was much moved and rose to my feet similar instances are numerous the susceptibility to external influences which helps the woman through her difficulties at the same time often renders the crisis intensely dramatic in the presence of the strong forces of a revival she is often deeply moved female sixteen as the choir began to sing i felt a queer feeling about my heart which might be called a nervous tremor there was a choking sensation in my throat and every muscle in my whole body seemed to have received an electric shock while in this state hardly knowing what i did i went forward on the second night i was converted and felt that god was pleased with me female twelve on the impulse of the moment i went to the altar after an hour of pleading and prayer i felt something go from me which seemed like a burden lifted and something seemed floating near and near just above me suddenly i felt a touch as of the divine one and a voice said thy sins are forgiven thee arise go in peace 
With the non-revival females in both classes of males, the crisis in conversion is not different in kind from the preceding experiences, but is the culmination and intensification of what we found during conviction. These three classes, perhaps, act more naturally and subjectively. There are doubtless many other reasons underlying the differences we have noticed. One of that suggests itself that women, by training and custom, are less capable of having vital experiences when in public gatherings. Many customs, such as those of dress, indicate that they expect to be watched. Perhaps they are more genuine when alone. One woman writes, I used to fight and fight during service to make it vital, and not think about the way I might be impressing others. I had to struggle against being self-conscious. The conclusions reached by Professor Coe in the research quoted in the last chapter are in striking coincidence with those herein presented. He says, men and women seem to differ, first of all, in respect to the focusing of religious changes into intense crisis. I find that, whereas 82% of the men report having passed through such periods of awakening, only 50% of the women make such report. Among the women, religion appears more as an atmosphere. It is something all-pervasive and taken for granted. With the men, it reaches sharper definition, brings greater struggles, and tends more to climatic periods. The interpretation of this fact is not difficult. It is found in two of the best established distinctions between the mind of the male and that of the female. The first is a greater tendency of the female mind towards feeling. Mr. Havelock Ellis remarks that, as a rule, their affectability protects women from the serious excesses of work or play to which men are liable. In the second place, women are, on the whole, more suggestible than men. Now the more pervasive feeling and suggestibility are, the less likely is a constant suggestion and incitement like that derived from one's religious training to produce a marked crisis. This does not imply that men have more religious emotion than women, but only that they are more likely to resist religious tendencies up to the point of explosion. These results may be summarized and exhibited as follows. Men, intellect, more prominent, hence more theoretical doubts. Women, sensibility, more prominent, hence more doubt of personal status. Men, emotion focused on definite objects and at definite periods, hence more turbulence. Women, emotion more constant, more diffused, more gentle. Men, less suggestible, resist more, have more intense struggle and less fulfillment of expectation, attaining more in solitude. Women, more suggestible, hence yield more readily to ordinary influences, attain less in solitude, have less intense struggle, and more fulfillment of expectation. Three, antithetical feelings during the crisis. There are almost invariably two kinds of feelings, immediately successive in time, experienced at the time of conversion. The first are those of the conviction period magnified until the subject is brought to the last degree of dejection, humility, confusion, uncertainty, sense of sinfulness, and the like. These directly give place to contrasted feelings such as joy, lightness of heart, clarified vision, exaltation, the sense of free activity, and harmony with God. The second group shade off gradually into the characteristic post-conversion experiences. Somewhere between these exactly opposite kinds of feeling, there is a turning point where the old life seems to cease and the new begin. Just what happens at this point, which is often momentarily, as judged by the surface phenomena, brings such antithesis in the quality of life, 
is one of the most interesting problems in the study of conversion, as well as one of the most difficult. At the present point, we shall only try to gain such insight into it as is shown incidentally in a description of the feelings. The picture of the mental state at the turning point is as if two lives, the present sinful one and the wished-for righteous one, were pressed together in intense opposition and were both struggling for possession of consciousness. The person is principally an observer in the struggle, but suffers from it, and is often torn between the contending forces until he is held between life and death. The ideal life finally, often momentarily, asserts itself, and there is freedom and joy and exuberance of spirit. In the days when it is customary to speak in more picturesque terms, the conflict was described as one between the prince of light and the prince of darkness, or as an evil spirit within one which must be cast out bodily. During the strife, the person was a third party to the conflict. Although such a description gives a true picture of the feelings, it is singular that none of the respondents describe the experience in allegorical language, but nearly always as a psychological event. The following is a representative instance. Female, 18. After confirmation, I had even greater discontent and dissatisfaction. I was praying all the way along. I went to a place in the country where a series of meetings was being held. The minister seemed inspired. I asked God through Jesus to forgive me everything. As I was praying, all my sin loomed up before me and was such a weight on my soul. It instantly gave place to joy. I was conscious that God had forgiven my sins. It was such a work of grace done in my soul. Everything seemed heavenly rather than earthly. All night I sang, Praise God for whom all blessings flow. These brief quotations fairly represent the first half of the process. Male, 19. I mourned and wept and prayed and stood trembling with tears in my eyes. Male, 15. I prayed earnestly for pardon. I was willing to do anything for Christ. Male, 16. I felt the weight of sins as a burden on my mind. Male, 37. I didn't care whether I lived or died. Female, 14. My past life was a source of great regret to me. Conviction became so strong at fourteen that I thought I would die that very summer if I did not get relief. I often worried and lost sleep. One evening, after retiring, a queer sensation came over me. It was very dark, as though I was passing through something, and God was right over my head. I trembled intensely and became exhausted and helpless. The general character of the second half of the process is illustrated by the following. Male, sixteen. Inexpressible joy sprang up in my soul. Male 12. I saw a flood of light and faces in the room seemed to reflect the bright light. Male 15. While praying, I seemed caught up in the presence of Jesus. Male 19. I perceived a load go off. Female 12. I had a sudden transport of joy. I wished I might die right then and go to God. Male 17. The emotion suddenly broke, and I was convinced of the atonement of my sins. If we boil down the impressions from the preceding instances, the residue is the typical experience which has three distinct features, viz. dejection and sadness, a point of transition, and lastly joy and peace. Where one to follow out of the symbolism bound up in the words which represent the first step, dejection, depression, a burden, etc., it would suggest a descending line somewhat shown in A of figure 5. 
Then follows a sharp turning point, and a line goes upwards, representing the feelings of joy, lightness, exuberance, and elevation of spirit, which are contrasted with the first. Some such diagram seems to represent a composite picture of the crisis in all the cases. There are, however, almost as many variations on it as there are cases studied. Some of them deserve attention. In the first place, the turning point is not always momentary. In the figure, instead of the acute angle between A and B, there would be a curved line in some instances as C and D. In others, we should have simply a turning point as between E and F. This quotation illustrates, male 12, I felt the condemnation of God passed upon me as on all who refused to accept Christ as their Savior. After a long struggle to evade the grace of God, I finally yielded. The Lord did not give me the evidence of my acceptance with him so manifestly that night as he did the next morning. As I was walking through the woods alone, I shall never forget the sweet peace of soul I then experienced. Another variation from the general type is that of these two kinds of feelings are often completely mingled and blended. Male, 75. I was despondent. I went out of doors and cried. I felt my heart lifting and couldn't sit still. Female, 12. I felt sad over my sins, yet an inexpressible feeling of gladness came over me. Female, 19. I read books and reflected and saw my lack. I knelt and prayed, putting my happiness into every breath and beauty into everything. It is not infrequent that the post-conversion feelings are anticipated during the conviction period by some partial momentary sense of joy or vision of the new life. It is equally true that during the post-conversion period, there are often distinct echoes of the conviction stage, shown in a sense of heightened responsibility, temporary disappointment, and a feeling that the change of heart has not been complete. The two types of conversion. An analysis of the cases from a fresh standpoint shows two fairly distinct types of conversion. They may be characterized respectively as escape from sin and spiritual illumination. The first type, escape from sin, is more nearly akin to breaking a habit. It is characteristic of all the older persons studied, and of all, regardless of age, who have led wayward lives. It is connected with a feeling of sinfulness proper, in which the mental state is negative and attended by dejection and self-abnegation. The second type, which we have inadequately termed spiritual illumination, seems to be the normal, at any rate, the most frequent adolescent experience. It involves a struggle after larger life and is largely positive, although often accompanied by uncertainty and distress. After praying and struggling and striving, the light dawns, new insight is attained, and there is joy and a sense of freedom in the new possession. This latter type is attended, to be sure, with much the same feeling just before the crisis as is the escape from sin, but in this case they are mere incidents to the central fact that the new insight is difficult to attain. There is the same juxtaposition in both instances of two inharmonious lives, the old and the new. In the escape from sin, the conflict is between a life that has been lived, a sinful, habitual life, and the life of righteousness, while in the other type the conflict is between a life that is not, an incomplete, imperfect, aspiring self, and the life which is to blossom out and be realized. Heretofore we have not distinguished between the conviction feelings from this point of view, although some such distinction is hinted in the grouping in Table 8 
on page 59. But if we classify the conviction experiences anew, we find them falling into two groups, which we may call the sense of sin on the one hand and the feeling of incompleteness on the other. The sense of sin shows itself as a feeling of wretchedness, heaviness, helplessness, weariness, sensitiveness, and resistance, separation from friends and God, fear, resentment, and so on, feelings which are, after the crisis, by joy, peace, rest, lightness of heart, oneness with others and God, love, exuberance of spirits, sense of free activity, and the like. The feelings are reduced to the last degree of tension, and then recoil, are pent up and suddenly burst. Life appears to force itself to the farthest extreme in any given direction, and then to break into free activity in another. The feeling of imperfection or incompleteness has slightly different accompaniments. There is uncertainty, unrest, mistiness, a dazed feeling, distress, effort, struggle toward an indefinite something, longing for something out of reach, etc., which is followed by peace, happiness, a sense of harmony, a clearing away, a flash of light, freedom, entrance into new life, and so on. Perhaps the purest type of escape from sin is in the case of the conversion of a drunkard, such as is found in the autobiography of John B. Goh or H. H. Hadley or other records of a similar nature. The following account given by the superintendent of a rescue mission is a fair example of this group. Male, 37. By 12 I found the devil in me, leading me to do wrong. I began drinking at 20. By 26, rum got the upper hand. I was robbed of my manhood, found myself homeless and an outcast. I couldn't work, being broke up with nervousness. I had three months of severe struggle. My condition brought up the recollection of home and what I might have been. I was a misery to myself and everybody else. I went to a city mission. That night, in my room, in despair, I struggled in prayer. I said, If there is a God, save me from this life. I didn't care whether I lived or died. While I was struggling in prayer, I felt peace within. A calm came over me. Here is the effect of actual sinfulness, which has become so ingrained as completely to overmaster one's nature. A life burdened out and brought face to face with physical ruin, the opposition between the hopeless present and an ideal, and the dawning of new life when there is complete self-effacement. The other type, spiritual illumination, presents a slightly different picture. The person is not thrown back in the same way into helplessness under habitual sin. There is more of a reaching out, or on the other hand, an extreme sense of unworthiness and imperfection in which the longing for the unattained is strongly implied. Female, 15. I prayed day after day, struggling for light. Female, 10. The chief trouble was I did not feel myself so great a sinner as I thought I ought. Female, 16. I felt the need of a religion. I read a certain book and thought over it. I was beginning to despair. Male, 23. I prayed and cried to God for help. I wandered four years, seeking rest. I went to many a priest for comfort. Female, 18. I felt a dissatisfaction with my way, which lasted several years. It wasn't guilt. I didn't know what I wanted. I had such a desire to be delivered from sin. The feelings which follow the dawn of new life are slightly different from those which follow the escape from sin. Female, 15. While struggling in prayer, peace came to me through the darkness. Female, 10. I came to have a feeling as I do now, when a thing is right. Female, unknown age. New light seemed to dawn on me. 
Male, 23. When an outward help failed, a voice came which said, There is one even Christ Jesus can speak to thy condition. And when I heard it, my heart did leap for joy. Female, 13. I could fairly see the gospel truths which had been misty. Something like the trend of feeling during conversion and the distinction between the two types is shown graphically in figure 6. No doubt the nature of conversion, as usually conceived, is of the type we have called the escape from sin, represented by the heavy line in the figure. It is important to note, however, that if the cases we are studying are representative, that type of conversion which is accompanied by the feeling of incompleteness is more common than that which is accompanied by the sense of sin. Rarely does either type exist perfectly pure, but each usually savors to some degree the other. Frequently they are so blended as to be indistinguishable. Of those cases which belong rather distinctly to one or the other type, there seem to be about six times as many which follow the sense of incompleteness as the escape from sin. There are more of this type in both sexes and in both revival and non-revival groups. It is the rule for the non-revival females to belong to it. If our analysis is correct, it raises some vital questions as to the help demanded by persons in spiritual difficulty. Doubtless, when there has been waywardness and one has grown habitually sinful, the most efficacious way of rescue is to picture the fate of continuance in sin, to throw the person back on himself, to lead him to see the blackness of sin as contrasted with the beauty of holiness, and to make the break unavoidable, sharp and final, but to use the same methods with all alike, including the youth who is seeking light, is doubtful wisdom. It may be that in this case, also, it is important in many instances to bring into sharp contrast the ideal life and the present imperfect one. Where there is thoughtlessness, it may be important to set forth, as one writer says, the awful majesty of the moral law. When one is seriously struggling for light, however, when the spiritual seed is disturbing the clod and preparing to grow, we may do violence to it by drastic measures. We shall see evidence in a latter chapter that such is often the case, and that persons are often thrown adrift by lack of wisdom on the part of spiritual leaders in meeting individual needs. A question of no little interest is what are the life processes which underlie these diverse manifestations of feelings which we have described. How are two kinds of feelings thrown into sharp opposition? What is happening when the change is made from one type of life to another? We shall be able to answer more adequately when we have the description of the process before us as the respondents believe it to have occurred. End of chapter 6